My name's Ron Fielder. I'm an alcoholic. I need some help. I need another moment of silence so that uh, and ask you to please uh, open my heart because I don't need to talk from my head today. And uh, so if you'll do that, it will give me a hand and it sort of takes the, uh, some of the heat off of me. So give me just a few more moments, please. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> a few months ago when Pete called me and asked me to do a workshop on uh, forgiveness, um, I could feel my sponsor over my shoulder even though he wasn't there. You never say no to Alcoholics Anonymous. So, <laughs> so I said, okay. <clears throat> uh, the only thing I know how to do here is uh, go into our book uh, because that's where uh, this this uh, it, the instructions are for this, and then I'll give some of my experiences um, since I've uh, been around Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's if there's some time left over, we'll uh, do whatever we do. Uh, maybe some questions, or I'll give answers, or dumb looks, or something. So, uh, but in our book on page 66, we're in our it's in the fourth step, and it ta- it's talking about resentments, and we've done the three columns list, and in the first column, uh, uh, it starts talking about uh, tell what we want to look at about these resentments. And it says, uh, because if we don't, basically on these resentments, the way I understand it, if I don't can't forgive these people, then I'm going to hold on to them. And in the next two or three paragraphs, it's going to tell me if I don't do that, I'm going to die. And uh, for people like me that came from where I came from, uh, there's a chance somebody else might die too because people with our disease kill people that don't have the disease. So uh, I think this is a pretty, if one of the most important things that we, we do. Uh, it says, uh, it is plain a life which includes deep resentment leads to only futility and unhappiness. And I ask guys, I'm going to talk a lot about how I work with the guys I sponsor with. And I said, can you see that? Can you look at that and see that it leads to futility and unhappiness? When you're thinking about this, are you happy? It says, to, to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander their hours that might have been worthwhile? Did I waste hours? Did I waste hours at, at night when I could have been sleeping thinking where I could hide the bodies? <laughs> did, did I waste a couple hours because I'm thinking about them driving down the interstate and I realize my exit's 20 miles back? Because I'm so I'm, I'm so wired into them. Do I do that? Do you do that? Let's look at that. It says, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. There's two statements there. Is my is my hope the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience? Is that what I want? Because if it's not what I want, maybe I'm in the wrong place. I don't know. And the thing is, if I if if uh, if that's my hope, the resentment is infinitely grave. Grave sounds like a death threat to me. Wilson was a word uh, word merchant. He doesn't use the same word very often in his in his uh, the way he writes. So I have to really look in here to see what he's saying. And next, it says we found it that it is fatal. That's pretty uh, bold there. That's too. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. When I harbor a feeling, it's it's like a ship going into harbor. I'm giving it a safe place to be. And when I do that, I shut myself off from the sunlight of the Spirit. When I'm sitting around hating Bob, my old buddy there, what are my chances of, of being in the sunlight of the Spirit? Or what are my chances of, of, of being available for somebody else if all I can think about is Bob? 
I don't do very well. I ask my guys to look at that. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. It's three, right? Pretty quick. Okay, if we were to live, live, there's only one other option there. That's four. (laughs) We had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. Again, Wilson was writing this in uh, 1935, and the language was a little bit different. Uh, The way uh, I look at dictionaries then and the way I look at now, the grouch is sort of the guy that just sort of the slow burn and just sucks it all in, maybe becomes very depressive. And the brainstormer is sort of like I was, the rager. Just go, just go bursting out. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for the alcoholics, these things are poison. What does poison do to us? Yeah, that's about it. All right. I also like this, the dubious luxury of normal men. We're not even sure this works for regular people. <laughs> <laughs> but we know it doesn't work for us. So uh, what do we do about it? We turn back to the list. Ford held the key to the future. If I don't have a future, there's only one other choice there, is there? Another one of Wilson's vague death threats. <laughs> we were prepared to look at it from a different angle. What angle do I need to look at it from? How do I prepare for it? I, I really don't care. There's no specific instructions. I do ask my guys to get up, walk around, uh, do whatever they need to do, shake out their feet, their hands, uh, turn the book around two or three times, whatever they want to do, let's look at this from a different angle. And it says, we began to see that the uh, world and its people really dominated us. And I ask the guys, can you see that? Can you see how the world and its people dominate you? Because up up the top of the page, it says uh, it is apparent the world and its people were often quite wrong. I don't disagree. Anybody disagree with that? No. So what? They still dominate us. What am I going to do? Sit around and destroy, kill myself a few times? Okay. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. He was pretty pretty straightforward on that one towards the end. Fancied or real. Some of them are real. Some of them are just made up in my head. It doesn't matter which. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered. When I, uh, I haven't heard it so much anymore, but I used to hear it when I first came into A. There's no must in the program. This is one that's not there. Uh, I actually count over 50, but, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. What, is, what does that mean to, the, to you when I'm talking to one of the guys that sponsor you? I can't wish them away any more than I can alcohol. Does that mean do you have power over it? Can you make this happen? Are you as powerless over this as you were with alcohol? Is that what's going on here? Because if, they, if, if I'm not ready to look at that, then I'm probably not ready to go to the next part of this, this deal here. I've got to see where this thing is killing me. And it's not and not just killing me physically, but killing my spirit. Because when my spirit's dying, then then I will die. And I'm not I'm not good to anybody, including myself. 
Okay. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to start sharing some of my experience with this. Uh, it's the only way I know how to do this, and uh, I'll do it with uh, with you like I do with some of the guys I sponsor, and uh, I've been privileged to do this around the country some, and it's a little bit nerve-wracking for me to be doing it here with a bunch of people I know. But, <laughs> uh, but here it goes, especially some of them that were here through the whole thing. Uh, that saw it happen. Uh, I was five years, two months, two weeks, two days sober. And some people came to, some soldiers came to my door. It was the first Persian Gulf of War was on, and uh, they came to tell me my son had been killed. Now, the son, my son, Lance, was a light. He was a, the first spiritual experience I ever had before I came to you. When he was born in 1968 and I held him in, in uh, St. Thomas Hospital, this is the first time in my life that I had a physical contact, spiritual, physical contact with a human being. And with he and my daughter, it was the only ones I ever had until I came to you because I didn't let anybody else in. Nobody was getting that close. So when they did that, it felt like somebody just reached in, in, my, uh, in me and pulled the heart right out of my soul. Just briefly, real quickly, what happened is, is that, that, let me tell you what, what uh, some of the, well, actually, some of y'all are here. Within 30 minutes, my home group, there must have been 15, 20 at my house. And until we got Lance back and got him buried, they were with me 24-7 to be with me and, and take care of me. Not to stop me from drinking, but to take care of me. Uh, The, the part of the resentment on this came about three months later. I get a, uh, we were told originally he was killed in combat with the Republican Guard. Uh, I won't go into the details of that lie. But uh, three months later, I get a call from a guy, a soldier in uh, Saudi Arabia, and he said, Mr. Fielder, they're lying to you. He was killed by an American unit. Uh, the guy that killed him was a very high-ranking guy very politically connected, and they're covering it up, and people are losing careers because they won't be part of the cover-up. Felt like I had a white-hot rod about that big jabbed in my chest at that moment, and it stayed there for a long time. Because no matter that I'd been here for a while, that started a, a hate and a resentment that it took me a while to get rid of, and I'll tell you how I did it, because it's in this book, and even though I really didn't even want to get rid of it, I was... I, get ahead of myself a little bit. We went through a four-year process of, of going through this, uh, of trying to, uh, and because other people had lost careers, been drummed out of the Army on false charges, uh, there, this, was, this was a lot of big news. It was on the in national news. Uh, there was a lot going on. And during this process and one of the investigations, it turned out this guy had got himself awarded the Bronze Star for killing my son. Top of this page says it, the, uh, it is apparent the world and its people are quite often wrong, are often quite wrong, right? 12 and 12 says there's such thing as justified resentments. I don't know. I'm not a great judge, but I think this falls in that. This thing says it will still kill me. It doesn't matter. So what, what do we do with this? How do, I, how do you handle something like this? 
How do I find the spiritual relief to, to forgive this guy? Because, the, okay, wait, the red flags, guys. This is Ron's opinion only. I don't believe Ron has the power to forgive any more than I've got the power to stop drinking. I believe what I can do is take actions and through a loving God and open that spiritual channel up and God will put forgiveness in my heart. But I have to do certain work to make that happen. I can sit here and tell you I forgive you and and I promise you turn your back on me. It's not going to be pretty. I've got to turn to God just like I do all the rest of it. So that's, that's how I see it. That was opinion only. Down at the bottom of the page, it says, this was our course. Huh, sound like instructions. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Can I think this guy is spiritually sick? Well, I didn't for a while. <laughs> and it says, though we didn't like the symptoms, they like us, uh, and, they, and the way they disturbed us, they, like us, were sick too. Okay, and then it gives us a prayer. Uh, what I was told to do and what I asked my, uh, also do with guys I'm sponsoring is uh, what I'm going to ask them to do is uh, my friend Don M. from uh, Louisville, Kentucky says, I realize. I see with real eyes. My friend, Miss Linda, says, I see with heart knowledge. Can I see that they're perhaps spiritually sick? Can I close my eyes and think of the three worst things that I ever did and believe that I'm spiritually sick? Because if I was, maybe they are too. Now I wish to tell you, I wish I could tell you it was that simple on this, but it wasn't. But this is what I ask guys to do, and this is what my sponsor was asking me to do during this time. And then he gives me some prayers to be saying for this guy. And I'd said these prayers. I'd been five years sober. I'd done more than one four-step with him. I pretty much knew the drill. Knowing the drill, doing the drill, understanding the drill is three different things, by the way. <laughs> and he said uh, he had three prayers that he had me saying for this guy, and one of them is, says, God, let me grant him spiritual sickness. And the other is, says, God, grant me, uh, help me show this man the same tolerance, pity, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. On page 553, I'm not going to go, 552 actually sort of is more about the story. I mean, 551, I'm sorry. I was raised in the third edition. Excuse me. Fourth edition, 552, there's a story here, and it is not specific instructions in the fourth step, but it's some, there's some good stuff in here. The book says that in a, a vision for you, there will be more, there, a moral will be disclosed. And it says, uh, and this lady saying, uh, she read this, and this guy says, uh, if you have resentment and want to be free of it, if you will pray for the person or the thing you resent, you will be free. You, if you will ask in prayer for that, uh, for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you really don't mean, want it for them, and your prayers are only words, and you, and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks, and you will find you'll come to mean it and want it for them, and you realize where you once used to feel bitterness, resentment, hatred, you now feel compassion, understanding, and love. This was written by a clergyman. I don't know how much he dealt with alcoholics. This is just, again, my personal opinion. I think two weeks might be a little short for us. (laughs) 
Just my opinion. So my sponsor had me praying these three prayers for this guy. And I'll tell you just a little bit about me. I come from a very violent background. I come from a very uh, self-centered, fear-based, anger-based background. That's where I come from. And this man had took the only thing in my life that for sure that I'd ever loved from the moment I laid eyes on him. And he had me saying these prayers minimum three times a day. And this is how I would start those prayers. God, you know I don't mean this. I don't think we need to lie to God. This jerk you've got sponsoring me says I have to do this. So here it comes. And I would say the prayer. And then after the amen, I would say, and you know, if I get within reaching distance, I'm going to kill him. And I fully meant to do that for four years. If I could get close to him, I was going to kill him. And I would say these prayers over and over and over again. Never meant it one time. Not once. All I wanted was to get, I just I desperately wanted to get within range of this guy. Well, over four years... Excuse me, sir. A little over four years after this happened, we're in uh, Washington at the in the Senate for Senate hearings over this. And uh, I, I added it up one time. If, if I said it three times a day consistently through there, I said this right around four, those prayers around four thousand times. Not meaning them one time. Because what I'm getting to here is, is this is about action, guys. This is not about understanding, knowing, learning, any of that. This is about action. This is about doing stuff when I don't even want to do it, when I'm instructed to do it. Because what I'm going to tell you to is ha- happened to me. We get there and we're, uh, this is 4-9-11, so I'm going in with the senator and we, one of the senators on the uh, panel, so I don't have to go through the, uh, so the metal detector. I've been in the martial arts for over 30 years. I've got a fighting knife I've been trained on for a long time in my pocket. And I know this is the day. This is going to happen. Oh, by the way, during that four years I was saying the prayer and telling God, I was, you know, that I was lying and about this. I never bothered to tell my sponsor my intention, so I mean, that was probably not a good idea. <laughs> I'm not suggesting anybody do that. <laughs> but I knew what he'd do, so I'd, you know, uh, just, I didn't do it because I, I wanted this guy. So we're sitting in there, and uh, they finally got this guy up there. There's several people testified, and some guys had testified about their careers lost, and then the, uh, some of the investigators got up there and played tapes that they didn't know were existence of all the radio traffic that night and pretty much laid the facts out on the line at, li- at last. And this guy gets up there, and Senator Thompson's questioning him how, how it was he got a uh, bronze star for killing an American soldier. And he's trying to tell him he didn't bother to read the citation. 
I don't know, because any of y'all been in the military got the Bronze Star. I imagine you read the citation. I don't know, just a wild guess. <laughs> and he's telling him this, and uh, he is closer to me than Bob. I can stand up, take one step, and I got him. And I've run my hand in my suit coat pocket, and I'm about to get up. And I start listening to him rationalize, justify, lie, squirm. Everything I used to do when I was out there doing my deal. And I got to see me. I finally realized that he's a spiritually sick man. And there was an invisible force reached up there and grabbed that white hot rod out of my chest and it's not been, it came out of there and it's never been back again. I don't do things like that, guys. I don't have that capability. All I know how to do is follow the instructions in this book and let God do for me. I believe it's my responsibility for this man is to be the, is to be as in fit spiritual condition as I possibly can by maintaining it as it specifies in this book so that if he ever comes to me that not only can I look at him and say you're forgiven I can say you've been forgiven for a long time not just that but I need to be able to be there and hug him and comfort him that's my job cuz I get to live in one or two worlds and I get to choose this every day any time of the day I can live in God's world, or I can live in Ron's world. Either one, and I can choose it. That's about the only choice I've got anymore. Probably the only choice I ever had. I just didn't know it. But, uh, <laughs> I can live in this world that's full of love and peace no matter what happens and be there for people. Or I can be in this self-centered, fearful, angry, violent world and destroy everything in the same zip code as me. When I look at it that way, it's really not that hard of a choice, but I don't always get there. And I think it's my job to be there as much as I can, so if this guy ever comes, I can do what I need to do for him. I must. On the next page in the fourth step, second full paragraph says, referring to our list again, putting out of the minds the wrongs of others, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Oh, what? <laughs> Please, somebody tell me where my mistake is here. Well, it came. I was doing a four steps uh, shortly after that. Actually, I was in the process of trying to do it anyway. And uh, after this event had taken place and the forgiveness was there, I, could see, I was able to see this a lot more clearly. What was my mistake? Was it my mistake this guy killed Lance? No. Was it my mistake he lied and, uh, about it and lied about it and, and caused other people to lose it? No. That's, not, that's got nothing to do with it. What I'm looking for is me. What did I do? For four years, I went to a dark place of the soul where I was unapproachable. This is sober, guys. From five years sober to nine years sober, 
You want to know how many new guys I picked up to sponsor? Zero. I had two of my guys that were with me that actually stayed with me. And I think the only reason they they stayed with me because they just loved me. I wasn't doing them any good. My friend Bill back there told me later he was sent to me to ask me a question or maybe asked to be my, me to be a sponsor. I can't remember. And he's gave me permission to say this, so I'm saying it. He said I got close, and he said there was a darkness in, uh, around you that was so thick I couldn't even get close to you. That's a mistake, guys, for me. I don't know about anybody else. I'm only speaking for me up here on my experience. What kind of mistake is that? Thank God he went to somebody else and got the deal. Because it would have been my responsibility that I didn't put my hand out if he had gone out and done something and he just went back out. And I don't know if there's somebody else that did and didn't make it. I don't know. I don't know if I ever will. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life. I had to look hard at that. I had to make amends about it. I had to make amends to this man who killed my son. That because of what I chose to do in response to that, I had hurt probably his family because I'd said some mean, nasty things in the media. I'd said some things about him. Some of it may be true. Some of it was probably not true because I was so full of anger and hate. I had to make the amends. That's when it became clear. When the hate leaves, then I can see what I've done. And then I can do the rest of this stuff about fixing it up, cleaning it up, so that I can be there. So that I can be there when somebody else in AA or somebody even not in AA loses a child and I say, I know. I know what it's like. Come. I'll show you what I did. Also about this time, it wasn't about this time, it was the same four-step. <laughs> when I was a uh, young, uh, from 6 to 15 years old, I had three guys that continuously sexually abused me. Nothing happens here when I say that anymore. Nothing. And I'd done some work on that and... and uh, when I got to this, where's my mistake before, always on that, and I'd always just say my mistake was that uh, what I did was I just uh, carried the resentment or I didn't believe God could remove the resentment. That's just the best I could do. And I'm not saying that was wrong. It was just what it was at the moment. But having had this experience, I got to look at this in a different way again. I got to see something different. Now, some of the things I'm about to say, please, anybody that's had the experience of this, do not misunderstand me. When we are children and this happens, we don't have a mistake or are at fault. We are victims at that time. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm talking about what, what do I do now? What have I done since? When I was 15 years old, I decided nobody was going to protect me. 
I can take you to the spot on Otter Creek Road out here off Franklin Road, right by Radnor Lake, where I made up the mind that nobody's ever going to get close to me again. Nobody. No man would ever touch me again. I was going to get mean enough, tough enough, and ruthless enough that it was going to be a bloody mess if a man ever put his hands on me again. And I said, I said after I made that decision, I said about the action. I enrolled in the martial arts. was in the martial arts almost 40 years before it was over with. Back then, the schools had rifle teams. I got on the rifle team and started to learn how to shoot. Now, what I'm about to say, this is not a, I'm not saying this is a joke. I'm just saying it so you understand. I went on the black market and got a gun, and I was carrying a pistol to school long before it was a thing to do. I am saying that for one reason. That is, I'm not saying that to be funny. Is that these, this thing like happened in Virginia, and these things have been happening across the country. I pray for those families. But I pray for the, the, the lads that do it and their family too, because I understand the rage and the fear behind it. I know what's there. I know it. I understand it. And that's what, I don't know why I, I didn't do any of that at that time, but what I did do is set about in that process and, and no man ever put their hands on me again without it being a, it was a bloody mess. I'm not saying a one ever fight I was in. But it, you know, they, it was just that way it was. I didn't let anybody close to me except my two kids. Nobody got in there. Nobody got close. I always held back. What kind of mistake is that? I take something that happened to me that was not right, that was wrong, and take it to end my adulthood and use that decision to hurt people. To keep, and I'm not talking about just physically. People that love me and hurt them by keeping them away from me all the time. Never letting them in. Always being ready to just cut and run. Or somebody that, some guy that touches me that is not even inappropriate, doesn't even know he's doing it, gets punched. Sound like a mistake? I feel like it was a terrible mistake. And I, can't, I, was, I had this one into sobriety, too. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. I remember the first time my sponsor, I, I would not let you hug me, by the way, when I got in AA. <laughs> Especially you guys. I was about a year sober, and my sponsor finally decided it was time for me to learn to hug, and I looked at him like he is an idiot, <laughs> which is probably not the first time I looked that way. But, <laughs> but, but then I, I don't know why. It's one of them things I do whether I want to do it or not because I'm instructed to do it because it's the best thing for me to do. I, I don't know whether that makes sense or not. So he grabs me and hugs me, and I want, you know, if I'm going to hug, I want to hug and pat, pat, pat and get out of there. <laughs> He grabs me and not let go. I think it's probably about uh, this is a few pounds ago. It was probably like trying to hold a 190-pound fish because, baby, I was wanting to get out of there. <laughs> I got off on that. I'm sorry, but what it did was what, what I do is look at my mistakes. Now I'm going to say this, and I'm not telling anybody that does, that that has been through that kind of experience as a child that you have to do what I did. But I'm telling you, this is what I did. That's all I'm up here.
At the time I had, uh, where I worked, I had available to me some pretty extensive databases. Let's just put it that way. And I found these three guys. And uh, I wrote them letters. And uh, what I wrote them was that, that I was wrong because I, I had used them. I didn't mention what they did. All I said, I used you to hurt hundreds of people, and I, that some of them I don't even know. And I was wrong for that. And if there's anything I can ever do to make amends for that, I'm ready. And they got my phone number, and they got my address. I never heard from any of them. That's, that's okay. I'm doing my part. or the, I'm doing my part. I'm cleaning up my, my side of the street. Again, I think I, it, it's which world I want to live in. If one of these guys that are really sick, to do what they did, they're really sick, I'm what I believe, I think so too. If they ever come to me and say, I need your forgiveness, I, don't, I can't look at what happened. I can't look in Ron's world. I've got to look in God's world. What can I do to help you? What can I do to know that it's okay? What's, the day that happened, the chains of victimhood finally fell off of me. I'm not a victim of anything anymore. I'm not a survivor of anything anymore. I'm just one of God's kids. That's all I am. I don't have that anymore. And I'm serious. I'm serious, and this is God's power. If one of these guys walk up, I moved to Dixon, Tennessee three years ago, which is where I was half raised when I was a kid. And the first uh, guy that uh, started abusing me was a deacon at the church. I go When I'm in town, I go to two meetings a week at that church. I meant to burn down that church. I go to that church. I'm, he's still alive. He's still there. If you'd have told me that, that I could do that ever, and I can walk in there and nothing happens. If I get face-to-face -face with him, I'm telling you nothing's going to happen. Ron's world, God's world. Which one do I want? It's a better deal. Now, I wish I could tell you 24-7 I was over here in God's world, but I'm not. Every once in a while I swing back this way. Because, you know... <laughs> But the good thing is I get real uncomfortable real quick over there. And I get to get back. Get to get back to, to working with people like you and doing what my sponsor tells me to do no matter what. No matter what. Do what's in this book. Do the action. I still do not understand everything in this book. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't know it all. I haven't learned it all. And you know what? It doesn't matter. All that matters is what I do. Because it opens me up to the sunlight of the Spirit. And when I'm doing that, God gets in there and takes care of it. That's been my experience with this. And that's about all I can do is tell you what's in the book and tell you what my experience has been. I'm going to do one more thing that my sponsor suggested I do. that has to do with grief and us working with people in grief. Uh, there's some... In, uh, right after Lance was killed there for a little while, I almost ran from AA. And I almost ran because of some things that were said. 
And uh, I didn't. And uh, what I know was these people that were seeing these things were trying their best to comfort me, to take my pain away and to help me. They didn't know what they were doing. But uh, since then, I've been honored and blessed to work with people, especially uh, guys and some ladies that have lost children uh, that are in AA and have had some of this said to them and work, work with them over this. And my sponsors usually always suggest I bring this up when I do one of these workshops so that we know what we can do to help somebody in grief. Because let me tell you something, guys. Grief, come, it's just like regular people. We're going to get it one way or another. Just because we're alcoholics does not mean we're not going to go through grief. The five stages of grief, there are there. We're going to go through them. Or we do what we, some of that other stuff and, and delay it or hurt ourselves or hurt other people. We, we will have, there's no, if we're human, we're going. That's just the fact of it is. What we as members, when somebody's going through it, is, is have to be there for them and not try to take that away from them because if we do, we delay it and we make it harder. I mean, I had things said to me like, uh, like get off your pity pot. It's been three months. Why aren't you over it? It was God's will. This was the one I almost went over the table at this one. I almost went over the table for this guy. Well, you know, sins of the father. You know what? These these people weren't trying to hurt me. I know that now. What they were they were afraid of this. This is a grief is a powerful powerful thing. Powerful emotions. And it's scary to people that are around us when we're in grief. And they try their best to help us. And sometimes they don't understand how to help us. That's what these, they were not trying to hurt me. And some of them are just afraid of that pain because it looks, it looks, it's scary if you have, if we haven't been through it. One of the things I asked the, uh, when we've had a couple of guys that have since then, we've a couple of guys, well, at least one guy in our sponsorship uh, lineage and, and some other people have lost uh, children. And Scott asked me to do some things uh, on the email. <laughs> me on a computer, that's a joke. But uh, <laughs> uh, but here's some things that I'm going to tell you. When you, if, you if you've got somebody that you, that's around you that's in grief, don't try to take their pain. They have to go through the pain. If they don't go through it, they're going to get stuck. And if we get stuck, guys, the thing about what we're going to do is we're going to escape one way or another. And it may not be alcoholic drugs. It may be suicide. It may be a lot of things. Let them have their pain, but be there for them. If, he, if, if they want to talk, just let them talk. I don't have to solve their problem. I don't have to take their pain away. Just let them talk. If they, don't want, if they don't want to talk, they want to be quiet, fine. Just sit there with them. Some, some of the most loving thing I had was, was a couple of guys that would just sit there with me. And I, could, you know, I, wouldn't, I couldn't say anything. I'd just sit there, but I knew they were there. Don't be afraid of their pain. It's not going. It's not contagious. It's not. Don't try to take their pain away from them. 
Because if, if, if you do that, if you were actually were able to do that, it'll come back and it'll come back in a, in a way, crossways sometime later, that'll be more powerful and nuts than you've ever seen in your life. Because I've seen that happen to people. Use the bereaved name around them. The, the loss to the bereaved one. Use the name. Don't avoid the name. I tell you, we can tell. I used to see people dance around trying to keep from saying Lance's name to afraid I was going to go into some deep uh, pain. Sorry, I was already there. <laughs> Don't be afraid to use their name. It honors them. It honors me when his name is still. Sixteen years later, I hear Lance's name, and it honors me, and it honors him. Don't be afraid when I use his name. I used to see people physically recoil when I would say Lance. I would see them pull back like that, like what's coming next. It's just, it's just the grief, guys. Don't worry about it. Just be there. There's no magic to it except being there and letting them get through that and getting to their God. That's all there is to it. No more, no less. I don't know if there's any uh, questions or not. I doubt I can answer much, but if there is, uh, they, they told me to take them. If they were there, we've got a couple of minutes. Uh, anybody's got one, I'll tell me, and I'll try to repeat it over here for the for the tape. If not, what about saying I know how you feel? Oh yeah, thank you. the The uh, question or the response was, "What about saying I know how you feel?" That I'm, yeah, I left that one out. That one, uh, when somebody would come up to me and say, I know how you feel, and they hadn't lost a child, they don't know how I feel. I haven't lost a brother or a parent yet. Somebody's lost a brother or a parent, I don't know how they feel. I know what grief feels like, but I don't know specifically what it feels like to lose a brother or a parent. I do know what it feels like to lose a child. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, the question was, uh, what, do you, what do I respond when somebody comes to me and says, you just need to do a four-step again on this, or, oh, you're just feeling sorry for yourself? Well, on doing the four-step again, this is... This is uh, Red flags, Ron's opinion only. I think there's only one way to do a four-step, and that's to do a four-step on the whole shebang. <laughs> I don't think, I don't do four-steps on one. If somebody comes to me and says, I need to do a four-step on this, I say, well, I think we need to do a four-step. <laughs> if there's a four-step needs to be done, we're going to do a full-blown four-step. That's just my opinion. Uh, I think what they're saying is, uh, they're insinuating is that I haven't gone through this process enough, so therefore I'm still hurting and there's something wrong with me. Same thing to you're just feeling sorry for yourself. <sighs> Grief to somebody that hasn't been through a deep, deep loss may look like they're feeling sorry for themselves. They're just hurting. We're no different on that part than any other human being on this earth. It hurts. They're gone. 
they're gone from this plane. I know, believe me, I know that, that actually I get to see Lance regularly, but that's another, but I know that, but he's gone from here. It hurts. That is not feeling sorry for myself. That is feeling the pain, getting through it so that I don't do something destructive about it. I don't do what I always did before I got here. When it hurt too bad, there was one thing that always took it away. A six-pack and a bottle of tequila would do it every time. Yes, ma'am. There's a, the question is uh, someone that is uh, not grieved, has uh, not gone through the process it's several years down the road, and uh, they're probably, my guess is they're starting to do some not very good behaviors or self-destructive behaviors, which may be just some stuff turned inward. I don't know what it would be, but, I mean, a lot of times it's that. Uh, what can we do to help that? Uh, again, I'm only going to give you my opinion. Uh, what's a little bit, and this is, well, it says in the book we look for, we take advantage of doctors and psychiatrists when we can. I encourage people that have got stuck there. To, there's grief groups. Um, Hospice Alive holds some great grief groups. Uh, there's some other, there's some great grief counselors in Nashville. Um, I encourage them to do that, and I've also encouraged them that I'm available 24-7. You can talk to me. I am not expert in somebody that has gone that far and maybe triggered a bunch of other stuff to, to work out. I'm there to work with them as need to in this book and in a spiritual manner, but there may be some other things to help get them through that process that makes it go a little quicker than to get... I can, it can get real dangerous for me to try to trigger somebody to get into their grief. And I'm not, I'm not that qualified. Yes, ma'am. You mentioned five stages of grief. What are they? <laughs> I should be able to quote them, but I'm always afraid I can't. <laughs> the five stages of grief are denial. Bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance. Okay? Great. The, the question was, what are the five stages? Denial, bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance. Now, under, now it comes, this is the way it's always read out. The deal is, it doesn't always come in this order nor do we stay in one and go straight through. Sometimes we'll bounce around. It's just uh, So don't get like, well, wait a minute, I already got through the anger part. What am I doing back here in bargaining? No, it's just where you are right now. No big deal. Uh, bounce around. And also when it gets to acceptance. I used to hate, it's 449 in the third edition. 417 in the fourth, I'm sorry. 
4.17, I used to hate that line, especially when this. Acceptance does not mean approval. I don't have to approve of what happened. But what I have to do is accept that that's where I'm at in this world today and that's where I'm at with my God today. That's where I've got to be. I don't have to... Again, in the book, it's always it's told us more than once, and in the twelve and twelve, how other people are wrong in this world. I do not have to approve of what they do, but I have to get to the point where I can I can live with it. That they're where they're at. They are spiritually sick. Somebody that that took somebody else's life is spiritually sick. That's where I have to get to accept that piece of it. My opinion. I should have said that in first. But <laughs> okay, that. Bargaining for me, uh, let me, I used to go through this as like, I've lost my keys. The first thing I'm saying, I can't believe I lost my keys. Denial. If I can find my keys, I'm always going to put them in the right place. <laughs> Bargaining. I can't find, I'm going to be late to the meeting. I, and if I'm late to the meeting, you know I won't go in because I can't stand to be late for the meeting. I'm really angry. Don't go to the meeting. I'm really depressed because, you know, I knew I could have walked in late. And, you know, I'm just, I'm no good. And, you know. <laughs> That's the best analogy I can get. And then acceptance is, you know what? I better have a spare set of keys from now on. <laughs> and put it in the right place. <laughs> So I just, I, that's the best I can do. Uh, my bargaining with, with the Lance was, it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. But it was like, you know, you know, God take me now and put him back. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to us, but that, that was part of my bargaining. Or, you know, I'll do anything you want. Anything. Just, just not this. So, that, that was, like I said, it doesn't make as much sense as the analogy with the keys, but that's what I was—that's what I was doing in my uh, in my mind at the time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, Rusty. Hey, <laughs> John. <laughs> What John was saying, he said, what it, uh, he believes is just being saying, I'm so sorry, because instead of I know how you feel, if we don't. Yes, ma'am, I got one more. Do you think after years of time that humor hinders the pain from 
I believe laughter is is as healing as it gets. Now there 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 is uh, the I'm sorry I'm, for the taper. The uh, question was does is humor uh, helping people with humor uh, good or bad in helping people get through grief? Uh, laughter is very healing. It always has been for me uh, since I got in. It's it's one of the things that kept me in AA is is the laughter. Uh, if if there wasn't laughter, I don't know what I'd have come here for. Because it, you know, if there wasn't fun here, now having said that, uh, there, we can be inappropriate at times. We have to be careful of that. But no, I love uh, some people that knew Lance and, and that are, uh, we did some stuff, a lot of stuff together. We laugh about it all the time, and laugh about some of the funny stuff that he did or I did, or you know, silly stuff. And, and I think it's great. Uh, it's a wonderful thing uh, to try to use it to stuff it away. Maybe. Could be dangerous, but I I find it uh, I, I find it one of the most healing things that ever happened to me. Thank you. I'm honored. I don't know uh, I don't know what to say. Thank you.